we had a lot of fun creating it. And so it was really like, probably at the same time everyone else was creating a course because they had free time. We also had free time to create the course. But I think something that we did differently from a lot of other people is that we weren't trying to price it to have a 10K course launch. Hello friends, and welcome to Do I Need School to Be? A podcast about creative education. In this show, me, Alex, is going to sit down with people in the creative field to ask them about how they learn their trade and how they see education going in the future. We're all different and we all learn different ways. So naturally, we're all going to take different paths. If you want to know about how your favorite creatives or others in the creative field got to where they are today, keep listening and let's have some fun together. Welcome to episode three. And in this week's conversation, I got to talk to Emma Fanning, a sustainable graphic designer. I know, what does that mean? We live in a very complicated time and we see the threat of climate change all around us. And designers like Emma are real trailblazers, bringing sustainability to the field of graphic design. I'm a graphic designer too, and honestly, until I got to learn from Emma, I didn't think much about the effect graphic design could have on the world, if from a climate perspective, of course. So in this conversation, we get deep into how she learned what she learned, how she got into the topic, who were her teachers, and what's next for us. She also talks to us about her course, which I can only recommend and I hope to take myself soon. So maybe we can take it together. Well, let me know. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Emma. And we're recording. So hi, Emma. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's already uh, 6.45 here in the Netherlands. Uh, what time is it in Canada? It is 9.45 in the morning. So totally isn't, it beautiful, isn't it beautiful that we can talk through the internet? Yeah, I, I love it so much. Um, honestly, I much prefer this like pandemic slash post pandemic way of doing things with like zoom and like just being able to, to do video meetings so much better. It has just made things a lot more accessible for people mm -hmm. in the sense that yeah. if you have, if you don't have childcare, you don't have to leave your house. You can have your child in your house with you. Or if a building is not accessible to you, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to enter the building that way. It has just opened doors for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And like, I don't have a vehicle, so I was always taking public transit everywhere, which is great and fine, but it takes a significantly like longer amount of time to get to meetings when like you have a half an hour bus ride to get pretty much anywhere. Um, so I find that I save so much more time now by just having video calls. And that's fantastic because I get to have more relaxation time. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Um, during the webinar, the last webinar that you talked talk about, um, you mentioned that you don't have a car. I don't have a car either. I don't drive. But in my case, it's because I never learned how to drive. Same. <laughs> ah, yeah. I don't yeah. feel so alone anymore. <laughs> no, same. Um, partially, it was just like bad circumstances of like, I never really had anyone to teach me. But then also, like, in my city, having a car is really expensive. Um, like insurance is expensive. Gas is expensive. Like, parking spots for the apartment building is expensive and it just like it would kind of just feel like throwing away like ten thousand um, dollars when I can just take public transit and it works for most things um one day I'd like to learn how to drive just to be able to have the skill but I don't know when I have more excess money to just spend on that I guess <laughs> yeah in my case it was more that um I moved to Germany when I was 18 
Mm-hmm. So public transportation was the norm for me. And I've been living here for, for in Europe for 11 years, now living in the Netherlands, and I don't really need a car. But mm-hmm. I do want to learn because every time I move, it's very annoying that I have to be asking somebody, hey, can you like drive me? Can you help me with your car? I wish I could just like go rent a car and do the move by myself. Yeah, so totally. That's why mm-hmm. I would learn how to drive. But again, I have to wait until I have excess money to be like, okay, I'll spend money on getting my driver's permit and my driving hours and so on. Yeah, no, and, and it can really, it can really get expensive, especially paying for like professional lessons. Yeah, the the main like motivating factor for me would probably just be that like getting around the city here is fine. But if you want to go like up the island um, and do any kind of like cool hiking trails or like do fun things yeah. outdoors then you really do need a vehicle if you want to go camping you need a vehicle um so like that's kind of the thing that we're missing out on um but it's fine and i also i also think it balances out like in in the sense because i, lo- I know you live a very sustainable life it balances out if, if you are just like when i absolutely need it there there's times mm-hmm. i personally really like that about your course um from that the little ones i want to take the full one i'm going to take the full one now that um i think in august Yeah. But what I like is that you don't propose to do everything perfect 100% of the times. It's mm-hmm. just do your best to do the be- the best you can most of the times. And it's great that you take public transportation all the time, but also sometimes maybe you want to drive. Mm-hmm. You have earned it. It balances out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, it, it, especially I think it's a relevant topic since it's like plastic free July, but like very few people can go actually plastic free, especially if you live a like low meat or vegetarian vegan lifestyle all of those substitutes usually come in plastic um so is it worse to purchase the meat in styrofoam that i guess is still kind of plastic and eat that versus like purchasing a more sustainable option that's better for the planet but comes in plastic you know these are all really hard choices that like people have to deal with and i think that setting an expectation for like 100% or nothing like you failed if you don't go 100% plastic free i think can be really like demoralizing and like turn people away from wanting to make better choices. Like we're not plastic free, you know, we're not perfect at, at in any way, shape or form, but like we do our best. And like, I think that's the most important thing. And, and I think like not putting such hard limits on things too helps like ease into like transitions for big life changes, because as much as it sounds like a great idea to just be like, I'm going to go plastic free or I'm going to cut out all sugar or, or whatever it is making a big life change like that is really hard and you have to do it in little steps and like reward yourself for like all of the small achievements along the way and not feel like beat up about like the little things that you forgot or you know you didn't bring your reusable bags to the grocery store that happens to us even now um it's just you know it it's better to like have a positive attitude about the small things than like feel bad about like the bigger scope of things in my opinion that's lovely Well, I think we gave the audience a little bit of an intro into the topic, but let's let's, let's go into like a more formal setting. Uh, please tell the audience who you are and what you do or what you're currently working on. Perfect. Hi, my name is Emma Fanning and I run Little Fox Design Studio, which is a sustainable graphic design studio that focuses primarily on branding and identity design, packaging design in a sustainable way, including sourcing and the actual design of the the, the product or product packaging, as well as um, websites and usually setting up Shopify or Squarespace for our 
e-commerce clients to give them a, an online presence. Um, and we also have a course that is dedicated to teaching other designers how to be more sustainable in their work, because it's one of our goals that um, we hopefully one day won't ever have to call ourselves sustainable designers, and that it will just be a default for all designers to consider sustainability and that the niche will no longer be required. So we really want to be able to create accessible educational content for other designers to make the process of making your design work more green in an accessible way like we were just talking about through small steps and being proud of, of little changes instead of just going like zero to a hundred um, and feeling that if you don't do everything perfectly hundred percent of the time with your design business, then it's an abject failure for what you're trying to do. Um, so those are sort of the main um, projects that we're working on. We're, we have really amazing clients right now, particularly in the like alternative meat and sustainable food space, which is super exciting to work on. That sounds amazing. And how, th how did you get here? How did you decide that you wanted to become a green graphic designer, but maybe we can go a little bit further back. Say, how did you get into a creative profession? Yeah, so I actually, when I was a kid, I loved nature and I spent a lot of time outside with my mom, specifically at the ocean. I had this like, I still have the book, but it's like a little like ID book of everything that you can find in the tide pools here. Um, and I like brought that book with me always down to the ocean at low tide. And I was like carefully turning over rocks with my mom and like IDing what we could find and then carefully putting the rock back. So we weren't like disturbing anything. And doing that so frequently, like the book is like seaweed stained, it smells like salt water. <laughs> um, and that really just like, was so important to me. And is still so important to me now that like love of nature. And um, so I always really cared about the environment, even in grade school and stuff, like, I was involved in the recycling projects and planting tree projects and stuff. And I really loved museums, like natural history museums, specifically. There's an amazing one where I live that's like the Royal British Columbia Museum of Natural History. And I just spent so many hours there as a child. And I love the exhibits. I love the way the dioramas were set up. I like had this goal of like working in a natural history museum. And so I spent most of my like high school and university time actually like volunteering and working in museums. At the time, I thought that I really wanted to be like an archivist. So like behind the scenes, like don't talk to anyone, like very sort of like isolationist because I was very shy and I didn't like, I didn't think, I didn't see myself in more of like an active role. Um, during the time as well, though, I was actually, while I was working in the museums, I was sort of like doing like hobbies as a, as a, as a teen where I was like taking the anime that I was watching and like songs that I liked and like editing them together and then like posting the videos on YouTube, <laughs> um, which is like a really uh, geeky hobby. Um, and I loved it though. And I spent like hours and hours and years doing that. Um, and I actually managed to build a following of like 10,000 subscribers, which is like a big Respectable. deal. In Respectable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, I had a lot of like people that really were enjoying the creativity that I was doing. And that was sort of how I originally got into the field of like typography and color palettes and like 
being able to create like creative pieces. Um, so when I was working in the museums, tangentially, I was always placed in the role of graphic designer because I would like do the posters on like Photoshop because no one else knew how. Um, and like, that was like, oh my God, wow, you're so good at this. You're now the designer. Like it didn't matter what I was like hired for. <laughs> I was just like, you're the designer now, go work with marketing. <laughs> um, and so like, this sort of was like showing me different sides to what I was doing at the time. I was like, no, I'm going to become like an archivist or a curator or maybe even an exhibition designer, but I'm definitely not going to be a graphic designer. Um, but then as I got more work experience, um, especially in places like a dinosaur museum that I was working at, that was very small. So you had to take on many hats. Um, I got more experience with branding and design and I started taking on a few like freelance clients here and there. Um, so it was like through the process of like editing anime videos as a teen that I became a designer because I have absolutely like no training in it. Um, my degree is in English literature. So like that was sort of like how I stumbled into the design field, um, kind of accidentally because I was just editing the videos because I thought it was fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was sort of how I got like basic design skills um, the environmental stuff really came along more so in 2016 when I had been working in the field a little bit uh, in design, um, but just your average like startup, like freelancer work, nothing special. The clients weren't um, environmentally friendly in any way. I was just sort of, you know, taking on whatever clients I could get. And there started to be more and more news headlines about the climate crisis. And that was sort of like, I guess, like a a reawakening of caring about the environment in a prominent way in my life because I was really scared I didn't know I didn't know how to read the headlines I just knew it was bad and it was something that really sort of weighed heavily on me as an anxious person um, and so I was trying to find ways to do more in my life through going uh, you know low plastic and trying to reduce my carbon footprint when possible and sort of just doing lifestyle changes very slowly, I found that rewarding. And then it wasn't enough. I wanted to do something in my design work, but I wasn't sure what. I wasn't sure if my clients would care, if I would lose all my clients. Um, and it was just sort of like through a process of trial and error that I managed to carve out this like sustainable design niche and learn more about like kind of from the ground up because there wasn't a lot of resources at the time how to be a sustainable designer um, and it was really just born out of wanting to do more and feeling that it was really important that everything that I was doing from work to personal life was at least trying to do the best that I could do. I think you're the epitome of self-taught. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because because it ranges from how to design, how to like do typography, like you said, typographical or palettes, probably editing, like learning that Photoshop is maybe not the best place to make a poster. Yeah. <laughs> and then learning, oh, maybe I shouldn't make a logo on Photoshop. Maybe mm -hmm. Illustrator makes more sense, but just experimenting and learning and finding resources to teach yourself and then going on this journey of sustainability, also teaching yourself and finding out maybe this thing that appears sustainable and i really like the post that you, uh this poses you make that you make 
making those those little critics being like this looks sustainable just because it looks sustainable doesn't mean that it is mm -hmm. but also the journey that you had to take for yourself and i'm guessing it wasn't only in design it was also like in natural studies in chemistry in a whole lot of different avenues right yeah pretty much almost none of it was coming directly from design um in until i started like reading papers specifically on recycling and like the formulation of inks and like forestry that relates to the how paper was made um and like learning about the sort of like supply chain of of design or physical print design but a lot of it was just general learning about what climate crisis is um you know what does the current science look like what about forestry what about um you know uh, um totally blanking now but like just generally <laughs> learning about like different environmental aspects like basically whatever I felt that I didn't understand clearly I read more about that so I didn't understand like Canada's economy um sort of has a reputation for being built on oil and gas and the Alberta tar sands and I didn't understand that so I read more about it and then that led me to learn about fracking and then that led me to learn more about indigenous studies for environmentalism and so I just sort of like traced the path of what I was most interested in learning about and what I felt that I didn't understand um and I still do that to this day <laughs> yeah it's it's following your curiosity it's being like okay do I know this do I know this I don't this has a lot of little topics that I need to understand I will learn about those mm -hmm. and I, I love that I think it's a very interesting journey and who did you find do you have any teachers because you didn't I'm guessing you didn't learn from a particular person but is there anybody that impacted you on your journey, like someone whose voice you still hear in the back of your head when you're doing something? Yeah. So a lot of what I was doing at the Dinosaur Museum um, and then later at an aquarium in San Francisco was working with this CEO, the same CEO from both places. And he was super brilliant, an artist himself. He was running very high level projects and he had sort of like taken me under his wing. Um, and so a lot of what I was doing was like back and forth with him to do all kinds of things from like brochures to videos to like coffee table books to like displays in the airport. Like, so like I was really like flung into design at a very like early age when I really didn't know what I was doing. I could barely use Illustrator. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden I was having to do these like very high level projects. And it was through like a back and forth with him that he helped me also learn some of the basics of design, maybe not intentionally, but um, he was always like, you need to align everything. Like you need to make sure that you've got like a like good, like type hierarchies. Um, and so like, I frequently think about his voice in the back of my head for like, make sure everything on the left is aligned, <laughs> um, which is great. And he really sort of like helped um, rapidly develop my creativity and my skill set just by having such fast-paced projects that he was like helping me with um and I think that actually was sort of like responsible for like my rapid skill growth over the the couple of years that I was working with him that's really cool so you you went the mentorship route yeah pretty much in an in an atypical way <laughs> in an atypical way no but I think those are the best ones that you don't enter in it saying like, I, you're my mentor, I'm the mentee, this is how we're going to do it. But it just happened very organically from what it sounds. Yeah, pretty much. He just sort of like saw that I was doing good work with marketing and then started giving me more projects directly that were like on a like the the stakeholder higher level. Um, and then 
it worked really well because I was super motivated and able to commit a lot of time um, to the fast paced work environment and everything that entails. Um, and I definitely grew a lot as a designer. And now you yourself are in a position to have mentees and to become a teacher. Well, you are a teacher because you have your own course. Mm -hmm. So how did you develop, how did you come to that? Do you want it to make somebody else's journey easier into sustainable design or did you just go, because a lot of people did it in 2020. It's like, everybody said, I want to have a course. Yeah. Yeah. I had really been thinking about the idea several years before, um, 2020 when everyone made a course um I had really been thinking about it since around 2018 but I knew that I didn't have enough I didn't have a, a big enough Instagram following and community base and I knew that I didn't have the full amount of knowledge that was actually going to be required to create a course um it was really important to me that I had like a really solid understanding of everything that I was going to be teaching and having it be as detailed as possible before I started creating the course and then It was something that we probably could have done in 2019, but really the opportunity only came up in the pandemic because um, I'm sure like many others, work dropped off very suddenly <laughs> and it was like, hmm, okay, well, we have a lot of free time now. <laughs> and I was super lucky in that the government here was actually giving um, like stimulus to people um, repeatedly throughout the most of the pandemic. And so I was able to just take government support money to keep the business afloat, um, which was great because I probably had enough runway, but like just barely. And it would have been like cutting it pretty close if I truly had gotten no clients or, or no projects that made income through the pandemic. Um, but the other thing that was really like instrumental for the, the creation of the course was actually just that my partner, who is a, a science student, he was taking time off because he didn't want to take the online classes, which fair enough. Um, I think as like, especially like STEM, that sort of is best done in person. Like I can imagine like online English classes, but like, how do you do an online lab? Anyway. Exactly. Uh, yeah. He was sort of looking for something to do at that time. And I realized that he could fill in a lot of the like science and chemistry gaps that I was missing, especially in terms of material sourcing for packaging and other design things. And so we worked on the course together and we found that to be like really, really rewarding and super fun. Um, he himself wants to eventually continue in academia and be a professor likely. And so it was a really great experience for him as well to be able to get a trial run at teaching a class. Um, and yeah, we just, we had a lot of fun creating it. And so it was really like, probably at the same time everyone else was creating a course because they had free time. We also had free time to create the course. But I think something that we did differently from a lot of other people is that we weren't trying to price it to have a 10K course launch because, and maybe we can talk more about this later, but like we really don't believe in education as a pure profit model. We really do think that it should be accessible. Ideally, our course would be free um, if that was financially viable for us. But because that's not, it's priced as literally as low as we can um, to be able to like pay the bills and like make sure that it kind of like breaks even. So this isn't like something that we're making mad money off of because sometimes large course creators talk about how much money they made. And honestly, it doesn't, it, it, it's upsetting. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, okay, make your money. But like, a lot of it is geared towards people that don't have money and like 
I've heard stories of people that go into debt to take these too expensive courses. They don't make their money back. And that's upsetting to me. And I don't feel that education should be priced that way and should be built to manipulate people into spending more money than they can afford on a promise. I think one of my favorite things of you as a teacher is how the high level of ethics that you have and just the fact that the court that you get all the updates after it's not like you're going to be like in a year if you're going to get an updated version of all the information from the course you have to pay for the course again and so yeah. on it's mm-hmm. it's it comes from a genuine place that you want to teach people and you want people to spread and to do better at their job mm-hmm. in I think even now as the market is switching and being more aware of the environment, it can also help young designers like separate mm-hmm. themselves from the pack when they start saying like, hey, I'm a green graphic designer. Yes. I am certified. Here's my, I did a course from a respected green graphic mm-hmm. designer and it can help them even financially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we could have easily picked that as our sole marketing purpose and like priced the course at a thousand dollars and said like, you'll get your money back because you're going to be now like a a top, um, top designer in your niche. And instead we took the opposite route of just saying like people that want to do better in your work, no matter what, this is how you do it. You will be able to have like a strong position in your niche and you will potentially be able to price more, but that's up to you and how you run your business. We're here to just teach you the basics or are they well from the basics to the advanced because yeah, there there will never be a, a an advanced green graphic design course. It's the one. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's also that that you're not making those empty promises. It's like so many courses you see online. I personally dislike I taken like free webinars and mm-hmm. what I don't like, it's like 10 minutes of introduction and introducing the problem, 20 minutes of content, 30 minutes of the person promoting themselves. I know I, it's it's so predatory. I'm like, uh, yes, why? yes, it's 100% predatory. Like it's so, we're actually like, we've got like several blog posts in the works that we really want to like fine tune about like, just like what to like watch out for in terms of red flags when you're purchasing a course from a creator it's to help people be able to make better decisions and cut through some of that predatory manipulation and be able to save them some money, hopefully. Um But yeah, like I hate the like 10 minutes of like when I was a child and it's like, this doesn't relate here. (laughs) Please stop. (laughs) It's like, what? I don't care about your life story. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're specifically asking for it. No. (laughs) Exactly. I I took this one in which the last half, I I timed it. The last half an hour was just the two girls explaining like what they were doing and just selling you other products. It's like, if you take this, you can take this. And they never revealed the price. And when somebody doesn't reveal that price up front, it's insanely expensive. I know, right? I hate that. That's why I always put like $300 as the price of the course on everything. It's like on the front page of everything because I hate it. Sometimes you even have to go to the checkout page to see how much money it is. Exactly. (laughs) I, I scrolled for this course. I was so curious about the price. They were like 20 minutes into like their sell me section. And I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I need to see how much this costs. I go through the website and I'm scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down, testimonial, scrolling down, scrolling down, testimonial, scrolling down, stat. Until I get to the bottom and the course at the end that everything they were promising, it was $7,000 at Ooh. a sale price because Ooh. you were doing the webinar. The full price was $12,000 and 500, like $12,500. And I thought, what? 
who has that kind of money? I'm sorry, but like, we have a very successful business and we don't have that kind of money to drop on education. Like, there's this co-option of this idea that clients in their entire marketing and like design budget for a year should spend eight to 12% of gross, the gross income that they make in a year clients. So this is on like specific like branding, packaging, website investments that are going to have a direct return on investment. But there's this co-option of this idea in that students should pay up to 25% of their gross annual income into education because that is going to make them more money. No, that's not how this works. Like <laughs> who are these people? Who like, are these students? I, I don't know because like I, and that's something that like, I am like sort of honored that people share with me is just, there have been so many people, so many messages from people that have saying, thank you so much for how you price your course. I truly can't afford other courses or I have gone into debt in the past um, or the pandemic has really hurt my finances and I can't take your course right now, but I want to one day. And like, this is a very, very, very common theme. So like, I don't really understand where these like larger course creators are coming from when they're marketing to beginner designers and assuming that they can afford and like comfortably afford without like actually damaging their financial situation, a 10,000 or $12,000 course. I just don't see it as viable in the current like economy in the global North, let alone the global South. Like, with the currency exchange rate from people in different countries like that, like it's just insane. They can't afford anything, but they're still designers. They're still on the internet. It's not like the Instagram is just full of white people. Like, totally. <laughs> I, I really, and I love that when you price your course, you're like, hey, it's 300, but you can also get it in three easy, in three payments of 100. And if you have an issue with that, contact, contact us and we'll figure something out. So you have that openness because, and it comes from the fact that you want to teach, you want to share this information. It's mm -hmm. not coming from, I, be, I created a course, I became a teacher because I saw a hole in the industry it's, yeah. or I saw an opportunity to make money out of other people. It's like, I really wanted to teach it. And also the course is beefy. Like you, you showed us the syllabus on the webinar and I'm like, this is a beefy course. Like there's a lot of information here. It's not going to be like four, 10 slides. This is 13 hours of video, right? Yeah, 13 hours of lecture content. Um, and, and like people have... Actually, the, and this is like so cool to see our students, there, there's so much content in the course that they're taking the course the first time and they're like, I'm going to do it again with the next round of coaching calls. And I love that because like they're really dedicated to learning and there is a lot of information in the course. Um, like we really truly packed as much information as we could. Like the videos don't have like the five minutes of like intro. They're just like, this video will be about topic and then launch right into it. <laughs> And that can so enrich your work. I mean, especially when it comes to packaging. And that's something I appreciated from the first webinar that I went with you. And it's just that knowledge, that idea that as designers, every we have to think about the full cycle of the thing because it doesn't end when the person gets it, especially with packaging. They have to throw it away at one point. What are we leaving mm -hmm. behind? And it's it's not a tale of if you don't do this, you're damaging the planet. It's more of a tale of empowering people to think about the full cycle. It's a very, mm -hmm. it's not, we're all going to this hellscape. It's more, what can you do today in your work and how can you influence everything around you? So it's, it's great. I love that spirit Thank you have you. as a teacher. It's really wonderful. Thank you. <laughs>
Like seriously, yeah, I, the only reason that I haven't taken the course yet is because I'm doing a social innovation course, which is ending in July. And I thought, okay, I, ha- I want to be able to pay my full attention to one course at a time. So as soon as I finish my, my one social innovation course, I'm taking yours because I just know that it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you in the course. <laughs> um, yeah, I genuinely feel that like, I, I really love the client work. Don't get me wrong. It's really fun doing brand design and packaging design and websites. It's super fun. But like, I genuinely feel that like the course is like some of the most meaningful work that we're doing actually, and that it has the most impact and that we're really like the community with the course too is amazing. Like even for us, um, like through the pandemic, like being able to have like weekly or two times a week calls with the people, the students in the course, it's a great way to make friends. <laughs> um, and like, it was such an amazing, like social interaction in a time where like everyone was locked down. And so like, it was just so fantastic um, through, through the, the whole, the whole pandemic that's still going on. So, you know, it's not like it's over. <laughs> yeah. It's a chance to build connection and, and connection on a topic that you're interested in with people who have the same curiosities as you do mm-hmm. and being like, Hey, maybe I've, always had this idea and if you go online finding this information will take you longer than 13 hours and if you look at oh it would take you so long and also you don't know what to believe I mean that in can can you explain to the audience because a lot of people have this misconception about the whole intern like watching an episode of Netflix is more damaging than driving your car Okay, yeah. So this is a like I want to have this I want to have this documented because I've heard that from so many people. Yeah, so this is a fascinating study that was done, um, I believe, by a, like a think tank in the UK, and they actually ended up having to retract their statement about driving is equal to watching Netflix, um, because what they had done in the study is confused a bit with a bite, um, and <laughs> so a bite, I believe, is like significantly larger than a bit. Um, So when they hadn't confused them and issued their new study after the retraction, as it turns out, the carbon footprint of Netflix is really uh, totally completely minor and has no serious impact and is not comparable to driving. Um, But of course, the damage had already been done because the headline already got out there and now everyone is like talking about it. Um, And it's unfortunate because like they... They issued a formal retraction for their study because it was completely wrong. Like the the data behind it was completely wrong. Um, and this is one of those interesting ideas because it's a similar concept for any time someone tries to say that your carbon footprint of emails or anything online is comparable to something serious in the real world. Um, it's really not um, like when you put things in perspective. So a great example of this is my website is on Squarespace. So that's not technically very eco-friendly because you can't control too, too much about it. Um, and so it has a slightly larger page size than say, if you coded it from hand, if you punch my website, littlefoxdesign.com into a carbon calculator and you adjust the um, automatic setting, which is 10,000 page views um, per year, down to a thousand because really we get a thousand um, like page or sorry a thousand page views per month. Um, so we get a thousand page views per month. We don't get ten thousand. That's quite a lot. I don't feel most people get ten thousand page views per month. Um, so when you dust it down to a thousand, it says that the carbon footprint of my website over an entire year is eight kilograms. 
and they list off a bunch of like statements about like what that equivalates to. So like how many cups of tea is that? Like how much electricity? Um, and they're trying to really make this seem like a really big number and that it's quite impactful. But when you look at the carbon like footprint of an individual person per capita in the United States or Canada, it's close to 16 tons of carbon per year per person. So how much is eight kilograms compared to 16 tons? It's 0.008% of your carbon footprint in a year. You could offset like the website at eight kilograms of carbon um, by having a meal that would traditionally have meat in it and make that vegetarian three or four times in a year. And then you've over offset your website just for making a few lifestyle changes. Um, so, and this isn't to say that green web design isn't important because a lot of what goes into that um, in terms of reducing image size and like putting in metadata tags and stuff, that's really important. Everyone should be doing that. These aren't things that we should be ignoring, but trying to equivalent a website carbon footprint to something that has like a physical presence, it's just, it's just not the same. Um, and so it's not worth like, putting all of your energy into that front um, when you can have more meaningful impact in other areas. And the overarching theme of this is that this is one of sort of what we call one of the three new tenets of greenwashing. Um, and it's, it's more than just like putting a green, green color on a packaging now. We call this one um, deferment to the consumer, to deferment to the individual, because ultimately large corporations are trying to push all of the impetus of your own carbon footprint onto you and your individual actions. And it's individual's fault that we're in this mess. Alas, that is not the case. Um, and it is mostly corporations and the 1% of wealthiest people in the world that are contributing the vast majority of climate emissions, greenhouse gas emissions to the world and the individual consumer that is just having um, like subsistence emissions from just like living their daily life in a normal way, driving to work, etc. Those really don't have a significant impact on the global scale of emissions. But it's very convenient if corporations can say, oh, no, 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 it's your fault. You're the one driving to work. How dare you? We're just supplying the oil. It's not our fault. Um, so that's sort of like, one of the things that we explain in the course as being something to watch out for when it seems that too much blame is falling on the individual. <laughs> that's great. And I think that segues perfectly into my next question, which is where do you see the future of creative education going? Because I think that you're talking a lot about developing critical thought mm -hmm. and being reading a headline and knowing like, okay, how am I going to interpret this? How, what does the research say? Is it repeating in our place? And that's something that not a lot of people do, but that's mm -hmm. something that's an integral part of your course, like getting the information and be like, okay, how am I going to critically make these decisions and how I'm going to back it up and also say, okay, maybe I don't do perfectly here. I'm going to do better on this other category. So where mm -hmm. do you see the future of creative education going? Do you think it's going to be more online like this, uh, talking through a medium or it's going to be more oriented in a certain place, or we can talk about the economics, actually. That would be also mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah, so I think that online education is really cool, and especially for creativity, I sort of seen it be, being much more common to shift, a, to shift art and design away from traditional university or college 
degrees and being able to have people learn it more independently on their own at a lower cost. So I see um, companies like Super High create these incredible courses that are like super detailed um, and teaching you the basics of design, the basics of coding, um, telling you how to run projects. Those are the kinds of things that, you know, the courses are all below $1,000 each and they just they have so much content. And that's the kind of thing that you might pay thousands of dollars for in a university. So it's my perspective that that's sort of making university education a little bit more obsolete um, until you potentially get to a higher level where it's more about like, especially physical technique for drawing and, and art, um, like traditional art. I, I think that can be difficult to learn like face-to-face or learn um, not face-to-face and learn online. Um, but I see a lot of sort of like power more going towards people being able to train themselves independently online. Um, and ultimately I would really like to see a world that's on like green new deal tenants where education is free for everyone, no matter what. Um, I think that that, is ultimately the world that I would like to see because education is extremely low carbon. Teaching is low carbon. We should be putting more effort into these kinds of low carbon activities, teaching healthcare, childcare, um, building different infrastructure, like being able to create jobs that are meaningful to people and also are low carbon. And so I'd love to see that become (laughs) more of a tenant of the society and economy that, that we will move to hopefully. (laughs) Um, And I think that being able to have education be free is really sort of like where we should be at. And I know that's the case in some places in Europe too. It's just North America. It's like lagging behind real hard on that. Um, And so I, I'd love to see things actually progress in that direction, which would also like kill off a lot of the predatory models of education that exist um, because they wouldn't be able to compete with, with things being free. Um, if education were free, I would go back and get a marine biology degree. That would be beautiful. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. Only if it's free, though. <laughs> no, I to- I totally get it. Uh, the course that I mentioned that I'm doing right now, it's a mm-hmm. social innovation course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's online, and it cost me ten euros. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about so many things, from uh, the lean startup principle to design thinking they're proposing a lot of ideas they have great seminars and I thought this is not I would have paid a lot more for it but I'm happy that it was available to me for 10 euros and there are a lot of people in the course who couldn't afford it if it was higher priced like I could I could afford it if it was higher priced because I'm in a very privileged position Mm -hmm. but other people wouldn't have been able to so it's taking that that it's putting it not lowering the quality of the education but mm-hmm. making it so more people can afford it. Because in the end, what is better to have 10 people who can pay $100 or to have a, or to have like, what, 10,000 people who can pay $10? Mm-hmm. It's like, in the yeah. end, there is a way to make it financially sustainable for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And follow ethical principles. And I didn't know that education was low carbon, to be honest. That's, the, that's news to me. I'm like, what? I, I always think like in, this, in design school, because I had a formal design education, how much paper we use. And I think, why am I using, why are we using, do we need to print this? Is this a hundred percent necessary? Do you need me to print this really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then- and, and, and that's true. Like there are ways in which it can be cut down, but ultimately like out of all of the many professions that one could do, education is super low carbon. Good to know. Interesting. 
<laughs> well, we have made it to the end of the podcast. Thank you. It was such a great episode. I love learning more about your beginnings. And I, yeah, just gave me a, such a huge window into you and your work in Little Fox Studio. Thank um, you. Is there anything you would like to promote? Uh, could be a course, could be a movie, could be another person that's designing, whatever you want. Yeah. So, okay. I have, I have two things. Yes. One is like a book recommendation um, for people that are really interested in concepts of a green new deal and what that would look like and what a kind of positive low carbon future would look like. So not about just like climate apocalypse and like why we need to stop climate change because otherwise everything is literally going to like be on fire, including the ocean like the other day. Um, or like more about um, like a really hopeful future, then I really recommend picking up um, Green New Deal, A Planet to Win by Kate Aronoff. It's a fantastic read. It's really short, super accessible, um, and really, really inspiring and hopeful about a plan for a future that is just for everyone and that is uh, much, much more low carbon than our current future. Um, and why we should fight for that in a positive way over just like climate apocalypse being bad and we don't want that um and then anyone that's listening that is a, a designer and wants to learn more about sustainable design um check out our course <laughs> you can find more information at greengraphicdesigncourse.com um and it's got like a full curriculum and frequently asked questions and you can always send us an email um or instagram message if you have questions about the course um We try and make everything as information accessible as possible. So like providing more information than probably people want to know, but that's okay. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. I will link all that in the show notes so everybody has access to it. Great. Well, thank you so much for this interview. It was really amazing. And I hope you have thank a good you. rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. This conversation took place a couple weeks ago and I've been mind blown by this. It, what I love about making this podcast is I can learn so much about how people I admired or people I look up to for as an example, got into this field. If you have more questions about Emma's education or her program, or if you want to take her course, you'll find links to all that in the description. Yeah. Do you have any questions for her? Feel free to reach out. They're always super open to share any information. And if you have any questions for me, please also reach out and let me know. Thank you, dear listener, for joining me again today on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll find links to my guests' information, like their website, their Instagram, to the, maybe the recommendations they made on the show notes, as well as a couple links that you may use if you want to support us in any way. But we appreciate anything you can do. If you give us a review, that would be great. If you share it with your friends, that would be awesome. And you'll find also links to our social media accounts if you want to just get in touch and give us your feedback. It is amazing to be able to make the show and to be in your ears, hoping you'll stay curious, you'll keep learning and to talk again next week.